Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. I'm going to pass over now to Paul Brad and Michael Douglas who will introduce this week's film. Considering doing it in a little tiny voice like I was an ant, but then I thought, <laughs> no, that'll be embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> hello, and welcome to Diminishing Returns, uh, which is practically a Marvel podcast at this point, because they keep releasing shit, and they've got an Ant-Man film out uh, this week, or soon, or something. So this week we're looking at the first Ant-Man, eh? Uh, I'm Sol, and joining me is Alan, who you just heard, um, I don't know what that was. What was that, Alan? It was a cough, but it'll probably get edited out, so... Uh... <laughs> no, 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 it won't now. <laughs> just clearing my throat. And Cal, <laughs> uh, do you want to make some noise? Oh, that? Did you hear that? that? That was me doing a tiny voice. Yes, yes, that was Aunt Calvin. Which is which is what his sister's kids will call him in future years. <laughs> <laughs> you you know what we should talk about whether or not is good Ant Man. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't see it when it first came out. Uh, I've only seen it recently for the purpose of this podcast. Um, because certainly when this first came out, I was suffering from Marvel fatigue. Um. Actually, less so than mm. I am now. Now I really am. But, uh, yeah. Uh, what about you guys? Sol, I'm sure you saw it when it first came out. Yeah. Being a fan of the series that you are. Yes. Uh, this one came out after uh, Avengers Age of Ultron as well. And it was very much intended as a, a sort of palate cleanser, I think. A, a smaller story in, in you know, both <sighs> um, obvious literal sense, but also in the more thematic sense because you know it is it's a nice little heist film which compared to the previous one age of ultron which is all over the shop so yeah i I went to see it post avengers when it came out in the cinema um and i yeah i i very much enjoyed it um i think i've spoken about enjoying it a lot on this show already which is why i'm being so forthcoming with that and i went back and rewatched it the other day for the first time since the cinema and i was um, surprised with how well it held up for me actually, I, I was kind of expecting the. I find with Marvel films they often lose a lot of the, the charm once you get out of the cinema and, and once you've had that soap opera um, installment kick yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I just thought it held up really well as a nice little film anyway, well, I, um, I watched it three hours ago Um mm-hmm. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as Saul did. <laughs> I'll be a bit vague at first, you see. I'm teasing you. I I can guarantee Alan loves the Hispanic best friend. <laughs> well, um, not exactly. I I like. Um, I feel like it. If you'd done more better with that character, then it could have been interesting. Mm. He definitely brings the only bit of life into it. Um, oh, I like, I and I like. That. 
Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, but and I like the actor who plays him. Yes. Should we uh, touch on the uh, production of this film because it's it's quite a long sordid affair really um mm. well that's it i mean the screen screen credit screenplay credit was goes to edgar wright and joe cornish and i know that's going back about 10 years isn't it yeah and then yeah, adam yeah. mckay and paul rudd also have a writing credit on there which is i mean paul rudd's less weird but adam mckay bizarrely yeah uh th- this was the first marvel cinematic universe film i was aware of because um, Edgar Wright was working on it back before there was a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan of his at the time. So when I want, went to watch Iron Man, it was kind of with the knowledge that they were building towards this thing, and at the time I assumed Ant-Man was going to be one of these phase one films, and it kept getting pushed back, and uh, well, basically, yeah, a few years before it came out, before it was due to start filming, I think, very shortly before... Uh, Edgar Wright ended up walking away from the project over uh, creative differences, which is a real shame because I I do think I I do wish I could see his version of this film, but I honestly I don't think it would be that different. Oh. Um, <laughs> so do different, you, yeah. Do you really? Yeah. I, I think Might I think you could. <laughs> I think you could remove all of the overt ties to the. Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's, there's a couple of scenes that feel very crowbarred in there. But other than that, I don't know. I don't know if there is that much that really... You probably have a few more flourishes of, like, obvious Skill. fancy direction, but well, I don't know. Have you guys seen Baby Driver? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say this was about as good as Baby Driver in terms of direction. Mm. I mean, but I Baby know. Driver is one of his worst films. Oh, yeah. I quite like we're, we're going to get a lot yeah, of hate for that. Pretty yeah. shit. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I was really worried because Adam McKay was one of the first people that was circling the project to, to step in and take over. Um, no doubt friends with Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd pulled him in. Um, he ended up doing a bit of polish work on the script and then um, uh, ended up going to Peyton Reed, which was a bizarre choice. And I was worried, oh, it's going to be shit. But I, I think he... I think he pulled it off. I think it's well, got. Who is Peyton Reed? Because he's done rom coms primarily. De- I definitely, I felt that this was very bland direction. He did that Yes Man film, the Jim Carrey. So yeah, one. very bland romantic comedies and other sort of feel good comedies. He's someone that the Marvel showrunners can control, basically, um, which is probably the main reason why Edgar Wright got the boot because he's a director with very much his own vision and own style of working whereas at this point certainly the marvel films are just sort of they just hire tv guys and you know they run it like a tv show pretty much and stylistically everything it does annoy me and i'm pretty sure i've said this before in the past where people talk about know, oh, each marvel film has its and... own flavor and all that kind of, well thor ragnarok is the only marvel film i've still not seen but so reserve judgment for that phase but... three does very much have its own flavor no, it doesn't. It's like they're all just the same with main with like a slightly different setting or uh I felt I think Spider Man Homecoming had a, a kind of John Hughes esque quality to that it. That doesn't count, that's Sony. Of course that counts. Mm. Spider Man Homecoming absolutely felt like its own thing. Thor Ragnarok absolutely felt like its own thing. Uh Black Panther felt like its own thing. 
I think they do, personally. Nah, I just, I, just, I just feel like I'm seeing the same film over and over again. It's all the same kind of humour, same kind of, like, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Iron Man. You can just... They're all interchangeable, as far as I'm concerned. So, In what way? I think one of the reasons I particularly like Ant- uh, Ant-Man is the the powers feel very distinct and unique compared to what you get in the well not just marvel but in superhero films on the whole it, it it kind of lends itself to quite an inherently different film purely because his powers aren't quite as gung ho they're a lot more you've got to be more inventive to um do anything significant with them and that's why this film becomes a, a heist i'll give it's... you that i mean i like that it felt more like a sort of 1950s um mm. you know b movie power incredible shrinking man and all that well, I wish it had gone down like a proper heist movie route because I might have enjoyed it then. Mm. Um, but it kind of played with that without really doing it properly. That's what I mean. It's like it's like when people say that Black Panther felt like a Bond film. There's like one scene where it feels that way, and that's about it. Yeah, and generally my generally my feeling with this film was not that it was a bad film or anything, but they just it was lacking personality. It really needed, uh, and and this is in terms of bringing in a director who's going to give give it some personal vision that's exactly what this film needed mm. or mm. or a real impact star like Robert Downey Jr like Chris Pratt Paul Rudd is just not doing it mm. and and perhaps if you let Paul Rudd off the leash he could do more but I don't think so he is essentially the straight man in the comedy films you know mm. that's what he does it, it, I think it probably needed more comedy there was occasional points in this film where I felt like it thought it was funny and it wasn't um, but mm. I, I felt like it was trying to be funny, and especially a bit of Paul Rudd, his uh, occasional little one-liners and stuff that just weren't hitting anything. Um, and it was just, it basically, it felt like a paint-by-numbers film with nothing of interest, really, whatsoever. And uh, to be honest, I was disappointed in that because I, I, I wanted more from this. I felt like this was going to be not too Avengers-y, and it was going to be a little bit different, and it was going to be a little bit funny, but not... I don't think it is very Avengers-y. <clears throat> I think it's no, I don't think it is very... particularly, but um, I thought that meant it would be better, but it wasn't. I get the impression that basically Edgar Wright had done so much pre-production work on the film that a lot of his direction ended up staying in there. The bits where Michael Pena is like telling his story of like, oh, so and so told me this, and then my cousin said this, and all that bit. Do you yeah. know where he's, there's like these little flashbacks? Yeah, 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 yeah. That felt like Edgar Wright. From what I understand, Edgar Wright did some kind of like a test that pretty much ended up in the finished film. Is that correct? I've not seen it. Yeah, it's um, basically at the end when he goes full Ant-Man and ends up fighting some of the guys with guns uh, in suits at the end of the film. That was He did a little, yeah, like a, a sort of test reel, concept reel for what the film was going to look like. They screened it at Comic-Con. And it was, yeah, it's the bit where he like goes all small, runs along a gun... Mm. jumps off it, punches a guy. Um, and, and this is it. I was expecting it to end up having really quite flat, un, uh, uninteresting direction. I, I think there's a lot of quite, you know, uh, kinetic action and stuff in this film that works really well, and I wasn't expecting. And I think Edgar Wright's version would have been significantly uh, better, but all things considered, I, I guess I kind of went in expecting the worst, and I was surprised how much it felt like it retained Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish's... Um, DNA at the end of it, it it very much feels like their script to me, just with a, a few tweaks here and there. Hmm. 
But I don't know, I, I, I like, I mean, I, I really like that it has that kind of, like you say, that throwback to the old sort of 1960s, 1950s spy stuff. And I think for me, that's largely because I, I read some of the old Ant-Man comic books back when I started reading comic books. I went through all of these um, Ant-Man and Iron Man and everyone in the run up to, um, uh, or it might have been after I'd watched Iron Man, but um I was really quite digging how much of the original Ant-Man comics uh, spirit was alive in this film as well, which I know is something the average filmgoer isn't going to get anything out of, mm-hmm. but it, it really did evoke that very cheesy um, old school vibe, but in a way that never kind of diminished what you were seeing on screen, and it, it kind of felt like the, oh, that Ant-Man was, you know, Michael Douglas's Ant-Man that's what he was doing back in the day and because they're i like that they had both versions of ant-man in the film actually in in the comics um hank pym michael douglas's ant-man mm-hmm. is ant-man and then at some point in the i think the 90s um they sort of rebooted it with a new guy and i like that the film was kind of like right well we'll we'll do the new guy but we'll hark back to the old and yeah. Um I think that was an Edgar Wright Joe Cornish thing actually. They they originally were going to have this big team up thing with the two of them but anyway, yeah. I didn't know that backstory but I assumed that Hank Pym was Ant-Man and that then when they'd done the film they've gone right we can't do this thing it was set in the 70s it's like tied into the Vietnam War or whatever. So like let's do uh let's reboot it but then have a, a hint to the past. So I didn't know they'd rebooted mm-hmm. it in the comics if you know what I mean. But I definitely worked out just from the film that Okay, that's probably the old Ant Man story, yeah. and they're they're passing the torch. Mm, yeah, but I like that it did that. It was very similar to how Captain America really kind of leans into its origins as World War Two propaganda and plays off it. I I felt that this film kind of had a similar sensibility about what it was doing. And yeah, I don't know. Like, so it, it opens on a scene that feels very much like one of these moments crowbarred in that Edgar Wright had no doing with, uh, just to tie it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe a bit further with Howard Stark and Peggy Carter having a sort of meeting with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Ant-Man and all that shit and I I quite liked that it just seemed like a nice, that didn't seem too um, gratuitous uh, a means of just kind of anchoring this in the rest of the universe. Oh I hadn't worked out that it was those guys I didn't put that together I just thought it was, you know, we're seeing a young Michael Douglas and they're trying to take his tech away from him, so he had to hide it. There you go. See, it's subtle enough that it works on two levels. That's how it should be. The technology on Michael Douglas was pretty great as well. Like, I mean, well, I think there's plenty of footage of him from. Well, yeah. From the, like, from yeah. The, <laughs> it was weird though, because it was like young Michael Douglas, but like that kind of old throat cancer voice coming out of it. <laughs> so it was. It was kind of weird. <laughs> but no, I, I agree because that's that's a technique that started popping up in films and for the longest while was so shit <laughs> every time it happened it was like oh my god what are you doing and and yeah like it's done really well there it, it, it you know they get away with it it looks good it's nice hmm. it's almost like a post credit scene but they put it at the start of the film that's what that is it's just a nice little coda that kind yeah, of because they they, are, they forgot up. to put it in the previous avengers film <laughs> like oh shit we're gonna make ant-man <laughs> forgot <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, yeah, it's interesting that you were saying it sort of harks back to the 50s or whatever. Because for me, when I was watching this film, I, I just thought, I, I feel like I've been transported to 1995. This is 
the sort of plotting and the the character and stuff they do in this is just like mm. I can't believe you're doing this now. Like just such like for example, like oh yeah, he's a criminal, right? But oh no, he did it for yeah. good reasons, and he's like Robin oh, Hood. I can't stand that. Yeah. Or, yeah, or like just a character, a character with a ridiculous Russian accent. It's just like what's that? How are we doing yeah. that in 2015 or whenever this was? It's like this. This it felt like a 20 year old script that someone had made. That was, I, I remember hearing about the production of that, and I'm almost <clears throat> certain, from what I remember, that was a last minute change to make him Russian, and it was like, yeah, I don't like that. But at why? All. It's not character relevant, and the guy can't do the accent, so why do it? No, I agree, it's bizarre. Um, my understanding of Scott uh, Scott Lang is he called the the new Ant Man? Um, my, my understanding is that he's actually quite a dark character in the comics, and certainly what I've read that involves Ant Man, he's He's not a particularly nice guy. Um, he, he's very troubled. He he ends up in a kind of abusive thing with uh, the Wasp, who's his, uh, Janet Van Pym, or whatever she's called, um, his wife in the comics. Um, not to spoil where their relationship's headed in the films <laughs> or anything, but... Uh, but he ends up, like, you know, beating her, and it's this whole thing. And, it, like I say, he's quite a dark character all things considered so i i must admit it's it's kind of a shame that like they seemingly have no interest in going there at all in the films because you wouldn't cast paul rudd would you uh if you were gonna <laughs> do any of that hmm. um well that would be interesting to see like develop some proper dramatic storylines within these superhero films yeah well that, in the comics conflict. they did it was it's like Tony Stark's famously got his demon in the bottle alcoholism arc uh Scott Lang was became a, a a wife beater and he had all these sort of personality defects like he was, I think one of his things was he was kind of very he had a, a real kind of ego problem and insecurities to do with that and wanting like credit for stuff and that kind of caused a lot of trouble and he ended up being quite a rival to Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, but like the kind of twatty one who you know throws his toys out of the pram, and yeah, they've just kind of made him another. I don't think the films establish him as being. Yeah, I don't think you can sell wife beater. There's, there's no way of getting mm. getting that in and, and making him a sympathetic character. Is there? Well, that's the thing. Everything I've read, I've read him in. He's not really been much of a sympathetic character. He's he's at best been a kind of anti-hero that the other heroes have to call upon even though they don't really want to because he's a useful member in their team you know mm. and he, he's always been a bit of an outcast with within the others but as i say i, I i've read very few uh comics that, that actually deal with him so he probably was just a nice guy in his own comic books and they probably got to a point where they were bored with him and started assassinating his character to make him more interesting but i mean i, I agree it's it's very it's a very basic setup, but I don't see that as a problem. It, it harks back to you know, I love Men in Black. What's wrong with nineteen ninety five or whenever it came out? Men in Black was after that and a lot better. Uh, <laughs> no, it just felt it just felt really yeah like old fashioned by modern standards. I didn't even really care about him and his kid and all that. It's just like oh yeah, he's got a kid that he loves. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but that's how I feel every time I see a child's photo on Facebook. I mean, that's <laughs> par for the course. Well, I mean, if there is, I mean, if there's one thing I know Soul likes in a film, it's uh, 
nothingy performance in a nothingy role by Judy Greer. So <laughs> hey, my favorite, my favorite part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and she is coming back for the sequel. That's why I had it in my head that um, she was going to be in the new Jurassic World because because I was looking at the cast list for Ant Man and the Wasp and I, I muddled them up. Can we talk about the cast a little bit? Because mm, I think the cast a is lot of really shit. People, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was, was going to say there's a lot of weird little um, like like the the boss um, of the the Baskin Robbins. You know, at the start, there's like an extended oh, yeah. sort of weird comedy oh, yeah, thing with. Um, the boss there is a comedian, stand-up comedian called Neil Hamburger. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Hey, Hamburger! <laughs> <laughs> he's not that good. <laughs> Neil Hamburger is uh, he's well worth following on Twitter because his whole thing is just every now and then he'll just search for like um, McDonald's diarrhea, and then he'll just retweet like a hundred people that have tweeted like, "Man, I'm never eating at McDonald's again. It gave me diarrhea." <laughs> He just does this weird assassination of corporate accounts, and it's bizarre. <laughs> well, actually, he he was fine as a, like a little comedy character in the little scene that yeah. was a, probably the closest to actually trying to be comedy. But the but the the rest of the the proper casting, like your main bad guy and then the main yeah, woman, awful. are both just really mm. really TV actors. I, I get nothing from them at all. Like, but the main bad guy, yeah, is particularly awful. The woman is not terrible, mm, is but she just yeah. she just feels like a TV actor. And I don't really know who she they is. Are. Well, they well Evangeline Lilly was on Lost, and uh, Michael Stoll is it? Oh, well, he was then. in um, House of Cards. She did the Hobbit films though, as like a stepping stone to this. So she's kind of graduated to. I don't know if the film. Hobbit films can. Yeah, but... yeah, James Nesbitt's in the Hobbit films for Christ's sake. <laughs> I mean, talk about TV actors. So Martin Freeman, but he's but he's a big star now. Well, yeah, I've, I still a think Martin Freeman's um... a TV actor who's got Martin looking... Freeman's a, a massive star. He's not right? massive. He's a TV actor who's done extraordinarily well. He, he's leading films and having B-list roles in blockbusters. He's mm. a pretty big actor. But yeah, and mm. then but yeah, you got okay. Paul Rudd, isn't yeah? All right, it's Paul Rudd, isn't it? Um, Michael Douglas, okay. Michael he's Douglas is fantastic. is solid, always I like solid. I do think at, at the beginning when he first take, puts the suit on and Michael Douglas is talking in his ear and all this, I think that's a lot of that is supposed to be quite funny, and my Michael Douglas can't do funny. Hmm. I think it works without being funny. Paul Rudd can't do action. I don't know. I, I think he does. I think he does action as well as required. It's just a little CGI man running around the bathtub, isn't it? I mean, hmm. yeah, exactly. Michael Pena is the best actor in this in terms of his actual career. In this, he's not allowed to do that much, but he does it well, I suppose. Well, I don't know. I'd, uh, Judy Greer, I'd say, has got a pretty good career. On but yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't do anything with it. I agree. If Judy Greer is such a good actor, Sol, why is she doing these shitty little parts? <laughs> I know she well, she keeps she keeps playing the the wife of the main character in all these films. It's really weird. It, she just keeps doing that exact. She did it in Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. She's like Caesar's wife or something. It's the weirdest little role to give her. And then the then you, you've got this little heist team with Michael mm-hmm. Pena. A guy who mm. can't do a Russian accent and another guy, and those other two, like those two guys, that's where you need like a a, a couple of funny guys. Where you, what's who are the guys in Fast and Furious that do those roles? Yeah. 
what's his name? Ludicrous. Um, <laughs> someone like that. You need someone with personality in those roles. I agree with that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing is, I, I, I'm pretty sure these people were all cast by Edgar Wright. I don't think it's like, oh, we cast Kevin Spacey in the villain role and then the two of them left to make Baby Driver together. I don't think it's like... Um, and, you know, obviously... I'm glad Kevin Spacey's not in the film now, but um, but he's a perfectly good actor. <laughs> well, no, I just, I, you know, it, it, it feels. I, I went with him because it feels like the villain they've got feels like he's doing a bad. I mean, bargain being Kevin Spacey would be a compliment. He's, he's like a. I did think Kevin Spacey, yeah, with Lex Luthor Spacey when he's got the. And then obviously Kevin Spacey was in Baby Driver, which oh, Edgar Wright went off to make. So it, it almost. Uh... But, but that main bad guy is particularly mm. weak. But the, also yeah. another problem was he sounded quite a lot like Paul Rudd. <laughs> and when they were both in the suits, and you couldn't actually hear, you couldn't tell which one was talking. I wasn't sure because I, I I kept hearing Paul Rudd going, "I'm going to disintegrate you. I'm going to make you wish you were never born," and stuff like that. I'm like, "Oh, this is quite dark for." Uh, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it was actually him saying it. Hmm quick question about scott lang's backstory because obviously all we see in this film is he comes out of prison and it's like oh actually you know i'm a computer expert guy and i just did a bit of hacking that because for the because it was a good thing to do mm. right but then but then he's also an expert cat burglar and safe cracker which that is just like i don't know why he has those skills all of a sudden because he's a, Any ideas? he's like like tony stark can invent anything he's just like all man anything science he can do mm. it this guy's anything, anything heist, anything stealing, he can do it. If he's, if it said he was a computer expert and then he could like, oh, I can hack the code, and like I, I could buy that in terms of computers do everything sort of mm. thing. But he blows up a safe with water, and he just like he scales the drain pipe or whatever to get in there in the first place, and then he like makes a fingerprint thing just like with things he finds around the house in about forty five seconds. Good with science. Is it? <laughs> Yeah, but being good with science doesn't mean you know details of a safe made a hundred years ago. Yeah, because that's how he's applied his science. He's he's like he memorized all the safes. Yeah, I mean, you just need to accept that the character can do these things. I mean, it's... but I I could accept that if he was I could accept that if he was like a career criminal. He spent time in prison, Alan. Right? What do you do? He's been reading the. He sat in his prison cell, memorising how all the safes are built, reading a big book of safes. They must have had a lot of books in that library if you managed to find the one about cracking hundred-year-old safes. No, it's 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 because there weren't a lot of books. Uh. There's only like five books. <laughs> and and one like, of them oh, well, just so happened to be... Yeah, yeah. It's like, how to dig out of a prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's it, that one was always like checked out by other prisoners, so he had to go with the mm. safe-cracking one. Oh well, yeah, you've explained that perfectly. My my note is that this film just felt like a fun, light-hearted romp, like an Amblin Entertainment <sighs> film or something. It kept reminding me of um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but like not as shit because that's a pretty bad film. I it, it it made me come to terms with because this and Thor Ragnarok, which again I haven't seen yet, are the two that people tell me like, oh, you'll really like those because they're funny and all this kind of stuff. No, but I'm just getting it. more and more. Um, my patience is at its end, really, with these Marvel things. I'm just sick of sitting through them. Just all the same, just boring, just graphically plotted um, 
you can just see all the people around it, like saying, oh yeah, we need to add in a joke there, we need to do this. It just all feels so mathematical mm. and designed to appeal to a mass audience that I I think, I'm, maybe I just look for different things in films now. I like surprise, I like something that can shock me or do something different. This all just feels so samey. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, but barring a few excellently choreographed and designed action sequences, I should point out. Because the action seems really great. What this film, what this film really needed was like him, like actually holding like an ant leg, and you can and like cuts to a close up, and you can tell it's like a fake ant giant ant leg that they've made. Like there wasn't enough like him leaning on a matchbox, and like that they've made as a giant matchbox. It needs more of that. I don't. I mean, look, I wouldn't have turned my nose up at that, but I don't think it really. <laughs> I don't think it really lets the film down at any point. And to be honest, I'll I'll say I actually really was quite impressed with the um, special effects work for the most part in this film. There's a lot of macro photography employed where they've like shot close up uh, footage of you know the inside of a bath or whatever with a lot of detail and then they mm. superimposed him in and i think it's done really well for the most part i did really like a lot like the the focusing effects like because if mm. you did take a tiny little camera and photograph something at that uh you know distance you would have that kind of focus going on i thought that was really nice mm-hmm. um, and my understanding is a lot of that was properly shot stuff rather than just mm. cgi that's very is, impressive you know. then yeah that's really cool that's the sort of thing that feels like Edgar Wright probably set it up for Peyton Reed in the pre-production to me. <laughs> I might be not giving him enough credit. Poor but... Peyton Reed. <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen Yes Man. I thought that was fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched The Incredible Shrinking Man quite recently, and I just wanted to be more oh. like that, really. I just wanted to him, like, having to chase a spider and hit it with a safety pin. Like, that's <laughs> See, I, I, I think this film really strikes a nice balance between that and being a superhero film. I think it really is kind of a 50-50 mm-hmm. mix of those things, and I, I like it for that. I like that it has that playfulness about it, and, and they, they really get into it in the end with the the you know the action scene with toy trains and making Thomas the Tank Engine massive. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love all that. Yeah, I thought it needed a bit more of that, like play, making a bit of fun with it. I agree. I wish there'd be more of that, and I think the sequel's going to lean into it more. But there, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, though. Going back to shrinking stuff, Alan. Like, there, there's a real like simple pleasure in just seeing like big versions of stuff or small. Yeah, versions just holding of stuff. a giant pin that's obviously made of wood. Like that's yeah. what I want. It's spray painted silver. Do you, do you want to know what really bugs me about this film? Bugs. Yes. You're gonna you're gonna laugh and be like. Ooh. <laughs> Okay. If you guys like the film, you'd get really angry with me, but I think because you don't, you'll be alright with it. Okay. Um, I it really bugs me the the inconsistency with like how much he seems to weigh. Doesn't that bother you? With how much he seems to weigh? Are you talking about? Because they talk about like how he can build up momentum and like punch things and stuff. Is that what you're talking about? Or well, yeah, they go out of their way to establish him as having a lot of weight in certain instances, like he. When he jumps out of the bath, he like cracks that tile on the ground, and when he falls out of um, a window later on, he dents the roof of the car. Mm. And so they kind of go out of their yeah. way to kind of establish, oh, he has the weight of a full man. 
but then he can run along a guy's gun or land on a record and just run on the record as it goes round. It, it's just completely mm. inconsistent. And yeah. It, it kind of just relies on what the film needs it to do at any given moment. And I think there is some bullshit comic book science explanation as to how that works to do with pin oh. particles and blah, 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 blah. But it... I just took it as like, you know, there's sometimes where Superman can like glide gently down to the ground or sometimes he can just like stomp and make a crater and I don't know, it didn't, it didn't bother me. Mm. I just found it a distraction. I, I think it would be nice if it picked a Logic, logic, logic. <laughs> there you go, that's what I meant. That was what my noise was before. <laughs> no, I, I think, I don't know, I think it'd be nice if they picked a, if they got in a lane. Then... Who's Elaine? <laughs> I liked that we had distinguishing features between different ants. So like, oh, these ants are really good for this. These ants are really good for this. That was kind of nice. I didn't know that Ant Man. I knew Ant Man could shrink. I didn't know that he could harness the power of ants. And like, yeah, that was a surprise to, to me as well. I didn't know that. That's one of his big things. Yeah, and I thought this film did an amazing use of it. This is something I think this film does really well, and it's one of the reasons I like it, is that it it makes really great uses of his powers, which I mentioned before, but um, the ants is another one, because, you know, they they go into the um, police, whatever you call it, like interrogation room, where, where Michael Douglas is pretending to be his lawyer, and then there's that shot of the ants swarming the lens of the security camera and it's just nice little subtle things like that where you're like oh yeah that is a really good use of ants that would you know if you could make them do anything that you wanted and i like that they kind of portray it as just this old man's got this weird eccentric like obsession with them as well when they're in the house it's like less practical than uh <laughs> like i don't know it really does just come across like he's he's picked his hill and he's gonna die on it he's, ant hill. he's gonna make ants make cups of tea for him <laughs> i i did think it was quite something that it, it managed to not come across as too stupid or too silly the whole ant controlling thing like it could have been just a bit too much but it was actually yeah, yeah fairly yeah, i bought it anyway in the context of the film yeah See, I, I, I will put money on Aquaman not managing to um, yeah. portray that whole power with the, the sea life coming to help him in nearly as good a way in the new Aquaman film. They left it out of Justice League altogether. They were like, we're not even going to touch that. <laughs> um, well, well they, I, I did notice that this very much felt like um, a backstory film, like a character setup film. Mm. Like It's half an hour before we see anyone shrinking. Um, mm. for mm. that sort of thing and 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 I think that's kind of brave to do that like and uh, I don't know if yeah. it worked necessarily because <laughs> mm. it was quite boring but um uh, I quite like it I, I I think it works but then I like the film so. mm. do you want to know do you want to know what else annoys me what I've got another note here mm? when he when he first uh, tries out the shrinking power mm he lives in a, a flat that presumably exists above a nightclub that's like fully packed in the middle of like daylight. Yeah, <laughs> which is then above another flat where some like mothers vacuum cleaning up and the kids playing or something. Yeah, like what is this building? It's called New York, Berlin. Berlin. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so there, there is another scene that uh, kind of after he's he's been taught to become Ant-Man and done his little montage. training montage. 
that we get the most overt, I think, scene that was most likely crowbarred in after Edgar Wright left. Probably what made him quit. They would probably say to <laughs> Edgar, we've got to put this scene in the film. And he was like, I don't want it in there. And they were like, well... Who do you think you are? Steelbreaker. Coming over here, <laughs> taking American directors' jobs. <laughs> and, and the scene is, of course, uh, he does a little kind of test heist. And then it turns out it's on the Avengers facility where the one cheapest Avenger <laughs> happens to be. Uh, I didn't notice that. Knocking around. They didn't even, like, they had him radioing other people and they didn't even have their voices. <laughs> like, they, could have, they could have just used outtakes and, like, strung together <laughs> some audio of just Captain America going, thanks, Falcon, good work. <laughs> like, couldn't even do that. Mm. I think it's a nice little scene on its own, and it, you know, it's a nice little fight, and the the little jokes and dialogue and what have you are all quite nice. And like, all things considered, it doesn't feel as like much of a distraction as it might do because there is a purpose to it within the film. But that does feel like a real like mm. maybe cut that, and the film would feel a bit more streamlined. And you know when they, you know when he's having a big fight with people, yes. Why doesn't he just stay small? Well, so then they'd just be like, wait, where'd he go? What? Yeah, because he can still hit them and knock them over with one punch. They need to build up momentum. Yeah, I think there's an implication that he kind of has to go big again to like keep moving. This is what I mean. This is why it annoys me with no. the lack of like consistent logic. Because if, if they established, oh yeah, he needs to go big to keep his momentum going, it would be perfect reason. Well, they, don't they say or, uh, they say like you when you're small you're like a bullet. If you go fast, you can shatter people. Whereas if he's just still and punching some guy's shoe, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, exactly. So uh, why don't you just stay small and like jump at him? Or whatever he does. What's the momentum thing? Well, he just needs to move, doesn't he? Like run. I think, and... you're, saying, I think you're saying he needs to start big and jump at someone and then go small. Oh, right. So he starts big so he can get speed going and then go small. Right, I get it, yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I think. Uh, I'm, I'm by that. That's okay. That's a good answer. Except the film doesn't um, Stay adhere to that because he because he's small the whole way when he like lands on the roof of the car or cracks the bathtub floor, so there you go. It doesn't doesn't work. Mm. Well, oh well, <laughs> isn't it weird? Going back to that Baskin Robbins scene at the start, isn't it weird that Baskin Robbins were presumably okay with being the 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 product placement? Yeah, that they used, I thought it was a bit weird because it's not like portray them in a. Bad it's not light. really like yeah, it's sort of a kind of funny negative light, but it's still a negative light, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. It's, it doesn't it doesn't portray like it's one of those things where you think yeah, well any company would probably do that in corporate America and blah 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 blah. But at the same time, I'm amazed that they read the script and were like yeah, we'll we'll be <laughs> the you know the sort of minor villains that <laughs> ruin the main character's life when he's trying to mm. make a go of it and be a straight guy at the start and mm. odd but i guess you know no publicity good publicity maybe it's like twinkies is it twinkies <laughs> one of those companies have got like a yeah i think it's twinkies have got like a deal or a rule in the company books that basically says they will never ever turn down product placement deals in a oh. film ever because um, I think it was Ghostbusters, like someone didn't want them to do the deal, and then they did, and then the sales went like three hundred percent through the roof following the mm. film or something. So now that's why they pop up in so many films now, like huh. Zombieland and that Daniel uh, Radcliffe 
corpse movie and so on. Mm-hmm. I'll take your word for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the music in this film. I think it's one of the first Marvel films where the score is uh, remarkable. Um, Who did rather it? Rather than just very bland in the background. Christopher Young? Okay. Is that him? Or have I just imagined that? Um... Christoph Beck, sorry, not Christopher Young. Oh, I've, oh, he's done stuff. I think the music's a big part of why it does have that kind of old school heist mm. spy vibe about it. Yeah. It's got a great little theme tune in it. it yeah. <laughs> See, they should have known from my heist film, get those other characters, set them up properly as, as interesting characters. Like Michael Peña they did all right with, but then the other two, then you bring Michael Douglas has to come and help or whatever. Like, do it as a heist film. That's your big last 30-minute big action sequence. But I thought it was a heist film. <sighs> yeah, but it's just half... Why are you saying it's Because it was just film. like a half-arse, like, they set up a heist concept, and then, but then it's basically just a, some crappy superhero action stuff. I really like heist ingredients in a film. I, I've not seen many full-blown heist films, uh, I've realised when I was watching this. Mm. Um but it's a it's an element that I really enjoy when when you watch you know an episode of something and it's a heist episode and that sort of thing and for me all I want is the exposition scene where um, someone sort of says well look they've got these special windows with big bars on them and you can't get through the windows and blah 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 and it, you know you've got the kind of cool do 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 music in the background and Brad Pitt's probably eating while he explains <laughs> it hmm. um, you want that scene. And then you want a few bits where they have to kind of sneak into a thing and get something. Hmm. This film's got all of that. What else do you want? Something. What more is there to a heist? Well, something tying it together, interesting characters, good actors, that sort of thing. Right. There is something tying it together. Interesting characters do not a heist make. That's nothing to do with heist. Uh, excuse uh, me, have you seen the Fast film? and Furious films? You can't just treat it like a checklist. It's not... I, I, I'm, I'm with Alan on this. That's like sort of saying, oh, well... Black Panther's a James Bond movie because he goes to a casino and wears a suit and has gadgets and all those sorts of things, and it's not. No, but it's it's very much a kind of combination of, you know, what would happen if we took a superhero film and a, you know, classic Bond-esque spy movie and put them in a mm. blender. This is very much what would you get if you crossed a superhero film with a heist movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a disappointing heist film and a disappointing superhero film. I think it's still three-quarter superhero, one-quarter heist. Maybe, yeah, but that's cool with me. Hmm. I don't think I want a full heist film. I think think I'd find it boring after a while. I find superhero films boring after a while. Unfortunately, we have to review, like, five a year now. (laughs) I think it's probably more than that. It's like three Marvel films, two DC films... X-Men. Oh, I like those ones. Two X-Mens. Usually some weird, like, other one that gets in there, like Unbreakable or Incredibles. We've probably done about ten this year so far. Mm. Let's just stop doing them. Let's do more, like, films like Raw and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane instead. That's what the listeners want. Damn it. I mean, I I think Ant-Man's an interesting one to see what you guys make of it, though. Because, I, I, you know, I I do think if you were gonna, I don't know. It, it was always one that I could have seen either of you going either way on very much. So. It was one I was kind of looking forward to seeing, as I, I hoped it would be a bit different, and then 
It just wasn't good enough, basically. I mean, for me personally, this is a this is a highlight of Marvel's output to date for me. It's one of my favourites from certainly the first two um, phases. Probably my favourite from Phase Two, actually. Hmm. Um, although Phase Two wasn't the best overall. What are the other? Films? I think I'm one of the few people that didn't mind that second Thor film. Yeah, you are. <laughs> But I don't know, you're, you're often quite down on these films, but then you, you really liked Spider-Man and you liked Black Panther and... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I did, I did quite like Spider-Man. And Black Panther was alright. So there's that quantum realm thing at the end. I'm not a massive fan of the bit at the end where he's sort of, oh, he's dead, but he's obviously going to pull something out of his ass to get out of this mm. quantum realm. And then they just, oh, that thing... He shoves that in there and it goes... But you know earlier on when when Michael Douglas was like, oh, don't press that button, that button takes you into the quantum realm. You definitely don't want to do that. That was really subtle (laughs) set up for it was definitely going to happen later, wasn't it? Mm. I thought thought that was fine. I just didn't like the arse pull way that he gets out of it. (laughs) This sort of, oh yeah, just shove that on there. Yeah, that probably would. I'm not even sure what he did, to be honest. I don't know if I was watching by that point. He took one of those uh, discs that Michael Douglas gave him that make things massive, Growth that you can, like, like ninja stars, right. and he like wedged it inside the the shrinker majig, and the it, so it made him go really big. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I've put here that this film's got one of the best Stan Lee cameos in all the Marvel films, but I don't remember what he does in this. Uh, well, he's only on screen for about three seconds. I think that's what you like about it. He's a barman. <laughs> I I think... I don't know. So, I mean, one of my notes is that I think it's a surprisingly um, strong, coherent screenplay to say there's so many fingers like credited on it at the end. But from the sounds of it, you guys would say it's a classic case of 20 people getting credits on a screenplay and it doesn't... No, mean, undoubtedly. No, I think it's, I think it's just weak writing. It doesn't feel like people. writing by committee. It just feels like someone who's written the most basic script they could, and then they didn't get to the point where they were going to put some flavor into it, and and then the studio went, "Oh, that's good enough. We'll have that." I just think you know, I don't think it's reinventing the wheel or anything. I just think it's really good fun. What you go to these sorts of films for, like I say, it heart back to that kind of Amblin esque. Um, which I guess is kind of what you were getting at with this 90s vibe, although I was approaching it from a different uh, from a positive place but yeah, it, it did kind of feel like an old family friendly 90s movie to me, but in a good way Yeah, if you had, if you had like Jumanji level effects in that yeah. film it would Jumanji, be like, that would, perfect example 1995, that exact script Yeah, but we've surely we've moved on in the superhero world since 1995 in terms of plotting, in terms of what you can do because it's all been done before. I think there's enough to separate this from the superhero pack, personally. For me, it is quite a distinctive um, entity. I really like it. I think it's great. Alright, well, what would you rate it? Eight. Okay, I'd give it a six. Yeah, six from me. Yeah, that's respectable. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the sequel. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that Peyton Reed's coming back to direct it, mm. given that he was such a last-minute, you know, mad. Oh shit! Who can we get a uh, replacement? I kind of thought, okay, well maybe they'll get a uh, who's a who'd be a good replacement for Edgar Wright. Guy Ritchie's still um, doing quite well <laughs> on the blockbuster front, isn't he? Wouldn't Nick, want him on it anyway. But Nick Love and Danny Dyer as uh, Ant Man. 
<laughs> can we talk pictures? Can we talk pictures? Because I've just come up with one. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Danny Dyer as Ant Man. I mean, does that not work? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's fine. That's exactly the sort of personality you need, though. You just need something, and Danny and you transpose Dyer. it to. Uh, like London, and he's like a Cockney white boy. Like, yeah, I've done a few years inside. What of it, eh? Like that. You know like, what? I love my kid, all right? Well, we can have Michael Caine in it as the old Ant-Man then. <gasps> oh, there we go, look. And, and, and they, they do a heist. Yeah. A proper heist. Can we, can we just stock. call it British Ant-Man? <laughs> can we get Pierce Brosnan in there for the heist? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Because the Thomas Crown affair. Oh yes, one of, one of the only heist films I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's here's who else you'd have in it. Do you want to know uh, all the heist films I could name? Right, <laughs> the Thomas Crown affair, Ocean's Eleven through thirteen plus eight, <laughs> and Bean, the ultimate disaster movie. <laughs> and the Italian Job. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. I haven't seen any of these apart from Bean, for the record. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so here's who else you, who else would you have in it, right? You'd have Toby Jones as a mad scientist. Yeah. Um yeah. Mackenzie Crook as one of the as one of the heist guys. Yes. When's yes. this made? <laughs> <laughs> right now. Two thousand and three. Mackenzie Crook is Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones, they're mates now though, aren't they? They do that show together. I know, I know. But uh, <laughs> Mackenzie Crook's kind of having a career renaissance, but I think it's more as a respected writer <laughs> of television. Mackenzie Crook and uh, Johnny Vegas. <laughs> as the two kind of witless thing. Mackenzie Crook doing a Russian accent. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I would love... I would love so much to see Johnny Vegas in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> As one of the heroes. <laughs> you know there's a Captain Britain? Like, <laughs> like how there's Captain America. There's Captain, like, every country, basically. Oh, um, God. And I would love for, like, in one of the upcoming Avengers films, we just, they're, they're like, who can we call? Captain America's like, I know a guy. And then we get Johnny Vegas walks in in spandex. And that's our representative. Do you know <laughs> else? I'll tell you else would be in it. Uh, Omid Jalili. Um, he could be the Michael Payne character like yeah if it was made in 1999 (laughs) if that's the vibe we're going for we're embracing this 90s I think that was the last time I watched any TV in Britain but I mean just really wouldn't be in a British film he does he does like massive American blockbusters and has like two lines he plays the lead role in The Infidel that's the British film (laughs) god oh yeah we're going down the the David Baddiel (laughs) level (laughs) Who could be the main um, woman in it? The uh, the wasp. The wasp. Opposite. So sorry. Was this opposite Danny Dyer? Opposite Danny Dyer. Yeah. Kate Beckinsale. Oh. I think she's gone a bit too big to be opposite Danny Dyer. Yeah. <laughs> but she does look almost exactly Dyer. like Evangeline Lilly. I mean, what Danny Dyer films have we? There's that <laughs> the basement. <laughs> Never heard of it. Do you not remember we got screened the basement as like an example of what not to do? At uni. It might have been it might have been in our directing class. So I think it was in directing. Did you not do directing? No, yeah. no, I didn't do directing. Okay, yeah, you wouldn't have seen it. We got screened the basement. yeah because the guy the guy who was doing our sort of guest lecturing was a, the producer of it, and he was saying like how they they paid Danny Dyer a, a sort of flat fee, and then there was like this underhand cocaine payment. <laughs> <laughs> 
as well, <gasps> like a daily cocaine allowance oh <laughs> to God. keep him going. Because he was he was doing like DJ nights uh, at, at night, um, like um, guest appearance DJ things. So Good he was God. up all night and then coming to film in the morning. But he was earning more money doing a DJ set than he was doing the film. So like he wasn't <laughs> going to turn it down. So, so uh, he was just like bleary eyed and off his face all the time. Oof, Which is, you know, that's how I want to. That's what I want from Danny Dyer. I'm looking for any films I've even heard of. So he did that basement film, which we only know because personal connections. He did something called Malice in Wonderland, which uh... I know he did. Oh, what was it? Was it Severance? Something like that, where he was. It was by the director of. It, I think was it that the, the director of uh, Creep, that film on the underground. Yeah, Severance, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Human Traffic is that it? Oh, I've heard of that. Is he in that? Yeah, that's it with jo- with John Sim. Yeah, he's like he's like a young like. Oh, I might. I'll get you some gear. Yeah, no problem. Like he's that guy. Huh. Um, and then he was in that film with um, what's his face, Vinnie Jones, uh, the remake of Mean Machine. He was in that, playing like a slightly simple guy in prison. I do like the idea of like an East End Ant Man. Mm. Well, it makes sense with the heist theme. Can we just just an East End entry to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So it's yeah. canon with the other films, but it's just some like low end East End gangsters who, like Vulture, gets a load of like high like high end uh, technology from the wreckage of the Avengers and the Spider Man film they just did. If if like Vinnie Jones is knocking around the East End and oh, what's he called? Alan Alan Ford is that his name? Oh, what's that guy who plays every East End gangster? Yeah, in, like, he was in um, Cockneys vs. Zombies. Wasn't yeah. He? yeah, 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 yeah. Can we get him in there? Is like, yeah, definitely. Someone <laughs> I don't even know who. Oh, is that is that Renda Cockney? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah Renda Cockney. Yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get him in there. Actually, yeah, this this film, but directed by Armando Iannucci. Hmm. <laughs> Come on! No, I, I want Armando Iannucci to direct the like the procedural, like Shield behind the scenes, picking up the pieces, like <laughs> yeah. dealing with the. Uh, I want him to direct the one about the not even Shield. What's that group of uh, Jenny Agatas in it, and all those ones in uh, Captain America films and the Avengers, the first one who were kind oh, yeah. of yeah, having the, meetings, the Council thing. Yeah, yeah, I want I want Armando Iannucci to do that. <laughs> behind the scenes Jenny Agatha running around going oh, for fuck's sake getting angry with yeah <laughs> I actually love that if Marvel were ever going to make me watch a TV show that would be it <laughs> they were they were working on a a sitcom of that like in oh, that God. vibe I don't think it got picked up by um, ABC or whatever channel it was which is a shame because, it, like you say, it's it's the one like pitch for a TV show in the Marvel universe I'm actually interested in. <laughs> so, if we're going with Cockney Ant Man, who, who's the bad guy? Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's dead. They, right? they can do wonders bringing like de aging people with technology. <laughs> the first Ant Man shows. So it's quite a sad thing. It's quite a sad thing that we can't think of any contemporary uh, Cockney. Uh, you know, film stars—they're all just poshos, aren't they? Like Tom Hiddleston and Benedict Cumberbatch, and yeah, you'd have to get Eddie someone Redmayne. like Russell Crowe to do an English accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can do it though. Have you seen? Uh, you seen the Mummy? <laughs> I've not seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell! I'm Doctor Jekyll. I'm, I'm fucking gonna kill you now. Oh, Mark Strong. 
Oh yeah, Mark Strong. He should go to. Oh now, yeah. Mark Mark Strong's too. He's been the villain in too many like yeah. films already. Good guy. Um, but yeah, he's exactly the kind of guy you want. Hmm. It's gotta be another. Like, couldn't Vinnie Jones be the villain? What's he doing? <laughs> Brad Pitt, but he does it Irish. <laughs> Josh Hartnett, but he does it Yorkshire. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about who could play the woman in this. Uh, the, oh, uh, yeah, the, the woman. Wasp. Um, what's Vinnie Jones' daughter called? Oh, we could get Ray Winston's daughter. That's I always I always say I did this in a previous recording, didn't I? Where I said yes. Jamie Winston, that. I think. In ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get her. She'd be good. Her opposite Danny Dyer. I think that'd actually work quite nicely. It's British Cockney mm. Ant Man and Ant Man Wasp Cockney. <laughs> is there a specifically British like variety of ant? <laughs> it's probably really shit and like can't do anything. We used to get them in our student house. Do you remember, Sol? They used to, like, march in. Oh, yeah! Used to sit and yeah. watch them for ages in summer because they'd all just, like, march in and go onto the second <laughs> shelf then... where the bag of sugar had fallen over. And then they'd just be carrying a little granule each. It's very interesting. But it was our house... It was one housemate's, like, shelf in particular by yes. the wall where they'd go in and he got furious and he kept... He started squashing them but leaving their, like... <laughs> Like half squashed corpses with their like twitching legs, like wiped all over the the cupboard interior, and and you'd open it and be like, mate, what, why, why are there just bits of ant everywhere? This is disgusting. And he go, I'm leaving them there as a message, so they know I'm not to come in here. <laughs> they'll see the other ants and they'll tell them. The other ants will tell them not to come in here. And I'm like, I don't think they're that. Look, they're just walking right past the, <laughs> the, the dead ones to the sugar. You... This is why I only had, like, tinned food and ready meals in university. <laughs> I wasn't comfortable keeping fresh food anywhere in the house. <laughs> we should have a scene in this film where... Actually, can we just do it about an ant that gets superpowers? Uh, the powers of a man. And it's like Fantastic Mr. Fox, but the ants like have to do a heist into the cupboard, into the pantry. Oh yeah, the ants, the ant gets the power of a man, so he can grow like really big. And I know that Ant Man can do that like later on, but you know he has the uh... strength of a man, <laughs> but he's an ant. <laughs> the strength of a man in the body of an ant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the strength and the intelligence of a man in the body of an ant. He like goes to like open a door and it, it like comes off in his little uh, little arm, his little ant arm, and he's like, I just can't do anything because I've got the strength of a human. And he's like going to sit down at the dinner table and he goes through the chair and all these things. The ants. And but he can really impress all the other ants because he goes into like some student's cupboard and brings back a whole bag of sugar, <laughs> a whole bottle of milk instead of just taking a granule at a time. No, no, like, uh, no, the thing is that, like, early on in the film, that's how, like, they impress people. But at the end, like, the big act three, oh my god moment is he, he needs to, like, really impress someone by getting a load of sugar, and they can't get enough out of the cupboard. So he uses his human cunning to do a heist on the wallet, and then there's, like, a shot of ants carrying 10p pieces down the road. Not, not the <laughs> wallet, it's, like, the money part where the guy puts, like... 10p in every day from it, you know, just change he's got. Mm. And you have ants carrying 10p pieces down the road to the corner shop. <laughs> and then they buy like three bags of sugar <laughs> and carry them home. 
<laughs> and that's the end of this film yeah. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. <laughs> and the ant, the ant is voiced by Woody Allen. <laughs> oh, Ooh, not, not anymore. <laughs> and Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> He voiced uh he voiced a uh Brian Singer can direct. <laughs> Kevin Spacey's uh a, a, a what are they called? Uh Grasshopper. Grasshopper, that's mm. it. I always used to think that was James Woods. I know, I always thought it was James Woods and it's yeah. it's who's another like twat. Uh, <laughs> but for different reasons. <laughs> mm. That's a yeah, problematic ant film. Kevin Spacey surprises the role. It's a big. It's, it's the most ambitious, problematic ant crossover in cinematic history. Woody Allen is the ant. Kevin Spacey is the grasshopper. Are there any problematic women we could have in? Uh, John John Lasseter uh, producing. Directing. Oh, Roseanne Barr. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we got we got like two solid pitch there: Cockney Ant Man and Man Ant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about Adamant? It. Does the soundtrack? Oh man, he's got to do a cameo in the cop in the English Cockney one. You couldn't not have him. What's Adamant? Adam Ant. Ant and Deck. Ant Man and Deck. Oh, problematic Ant. Here we go. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> he's he keeps getting drunk all the time. Isn't Ant? Isn't Adamant vaguely problematic? Didn't he have some like breakdown legal yeah. case? Yeah. Put them all in there. <laughs> The tagline is it's mad bants, but the B is like a little B in a different colour, and then you've just got ants in like capital letters hmm. on the poster. We're not convinced by that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's I mean that just seems like it would appeal to, you know, you get J from the in-betweeners like on the poster. <laughs> I was just going to say, you need one of the in-betweeners on there. <laughs> 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 anyway, should we, should should we, we leave it there? Should we end <laughs> it there, yeah. Before it gets silly. <laughs> there you go. Ant-Man. I liked it. As always, if you enjoyed that, please spread the word. Tell everyone you know to listen to the show. Uh, head to our website, dimreturns.com. Share it around. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. All that shit. Uh, get in touch. Send us emails. Send us messages. You know. Engage with us. Engage. If you're not into Marvel, we are going to be back next week as ever. And it's going to be one of the... James Bond! James Bond 007 episodes. 